Well, good morning, Gretna. I pray that you're doing well. Thank you for joining us. We are in the second week of our series. It's called Fresh Faith. And the goal, as we said last week, is simple. It's to help us rekindle our faith, to remind ourselves of who our God is and, and who we are in Him. You know, when I was a kid, uh, my dad used to make me mow the lawn. And and I needed to, right? It was it's one of those things that I think as a, as a kid you do need to do things around the house to help your your family get the job done. And and mowing the lawn for me, I have to tell you, full confession, never fun, never liked it. And as with a lot of things I don't like, uh, what I made an effort to do was to get it done as quickly as humanly possible. How fast can I get the lawn finished? so I can move on to those other things, right? Those things that I viewed as kind of adding something to my life that, that I, I wanted to do, that were, were fun or exciting or, or I just purely enjoyed doing. And so mowing the lawn was this kind of, I knew I had to do it every week and yeah, I got paid to do it, but I still, I still wasn't excited about doing it. I just wanted to get it over with. And so oftentimes as I mowed, I did not do it with the greatest care. And my dad would come out and he'd go, you missed this spot and you missed that spot. Knowing full well there were 20 other spots and he would say, you know what, you need to do your best, you need to fix it and do it right. And so what I would do in an effort to try to get done quickly would be to just fix the two or three spots he noticed and I'd go back inside and I'd say, yeah, I'm done, it's all finished up. I met the requirement, it's all finished and he'd go, hmm, I don't think so. And he'd make me go back outside and we'd look at it again until, and we'd have to do it and redo it until I got it right. There was something uh, important about understanding commitment and understanding follow through and understanding doing the job right and doing it as my father expected me to do it by his standard and not by my own. You know, as we got into our, our series last week, we talked about learning to love the things that God loves. And last week we talked about God loves trust. God loves faithfulness because he has been faithful to us since the beginning of time. This week, we're gonna go back to talking to Malachi's people or watching what God is saying to Malachi's people. And the problem is that they have begun to view their relationship with God as an obligation. As something they just need to get through, almost like a chore, something they just need to get through in order to move on to something else they would much rather do. It's kind of a, I guess, an obligation rather than a love or rather than a genuine, earnest relationship. And so, so we're going to jump in to Malachi chapter 1. We're going to go through verses 6 through 14 today, but we're going to go through it in sections as we kind of try to figure out what they're feeling, why they're acting that way, and how God feels about it, right? So let's read. Let's read in verse 6. It says this, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? This is the Lord asking his people, if I am your father, how, how are you honoring me, right? How are you doing what I've asked you to do? How are you meeting the standard that I've set forth for you? And it says, and if I am a master, where's your fear of me, says the Lord of armies to you priests who despise my name. You ask, how have we despised your name? 
But if I am a father, where is my honor? It's unlikely that any of us have, have said those exact words to our kids, but I would be willing to bet almost every parent has said at some point to their child in the midst of a, a discussion or a debate or a flat argument about what they need to do or not do as our child, uh, be, said the words, because I said so. It's fallen out of our mouths, right? And that's kind of a, look, I've tried to negotiate with you. I've tried to talk to you. I've tried to explain to you, as I'm sure my dad tried to explain to me with the yard over and over and over again. But you're not listening. (laughs) You know, you're not paying attention to what I'm trying to tell you to do. And so you default as a parent to just because I said so. You need to do this because I know better, because I'm telling you what the standard is. I'm setting that standard. And honestly, because I'm your, I'm your parent, I'm your dad, I'm your mom. And, and kind of your role is to learn from me and, and live with me and deal with me and do what I'm asking you to do for this season of your life, right? Until you grow up and leave us and cleave to your new wife or start your new family, your new life. Until then, I need you to listen, And sometimes the reason is simply this, because I'm your dad, because I said so. And and I think think about how God has to deal with his people that way. In Malachi, he's saying, you know, I'm I'm your father. You tell me I'm your father. You you tell me that that I am your master and I am your Lord and that you trust me and you follow me and you'll do what I command you to do. But here you are not doing it. We talked about last week that this is just 40 years or so after the temple has been rebuilt in Jerusalem, after the Babylonian exile. And and the people of God are comfortable now. They're comfortable in, in their understanding of who God is. They're comfortable that they've known him long enough. And there's almost this idea that they've grown up They've grown up and matured enough in their relationship with God that they, they can begin to relate to God differently. And while that may be the case with earthly parents, right, mom and dad, it's not the case with God. There is never a point in our journey with him where we mature out of the father-son, father-daughter relationship with him. He, we are always living in his house, right? We are always learning from his wisdom. And it's it's tantamount to arrogant, right? To to assume that that we've outgrown God. That's what the people of God are doing here. And the truth is that they've been that that is a common problem within the body of God's people, both Old Testament, New Testament, And here today is that we begin to think that we've gotten what we need to get from God and we've we've learned from him. We've sat at his feet for a period of time. Maybe we've we've read the Bible once, we've gone through it the first time, right? And we got it, we get it. Okay, God, I get it, I understand. I've read through it once and I understand where you've got me going and what you want me to do. But that really shuts us off to the relationship that God desires with us. And the truth is, it doesn't make God very happy either because that's not the commitment he's made to us. Remember, he's made an eternal commitment of faithfulness to us. 
And he expects the same in return. Let's keep going, right? It says in verse 7, it says, By presenting defiled food on my altar. How have we defiled you, you ask, when you say the Lord's table is contemptible? When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? And when you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor, right? Bring it to your governor. Bring it to the people who are in charge in your earthly world and see how that works out for you, right? Bring it to your earthly dad. <laughs> this garbage you're trying to call an offering to me, bring it and, and, and see how that works out for you. It says, bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or, or show you favor? Asks the Lord of armies. Is with, with the people of God, this, this idea of bringing unblemished offerings has its, its roots way back in the book of Leviticus, you know, that book that we, none of us like to read because it's a bunch of laws and statutes. But it repeats over and over again this, this phrase of bringing an unblemished, an unblemished sacrifice. It's mentioned, I think, five times just in Leviticus 22, just in a few verses of, of remember, it has to be unblemished. It has to be perfect. It has to be just what I'm asking for. It's not tainted or altered or negotiated. It's what I'm asking for. And you might ask why. Why why do that? Well, first, because it's a it's a, a precursor to the coming of Jesus Christ, right? This this idea that God is coming, that he's sending his son in flesh, that he is giving his perfect sacrifice for the for the sake of us. The thing is, though, that the longer we are with God, as we begin to look, the, the people and the people of Malachi is our example. They've, they've begun to treat their relationship with God and their opportunity to worship God, to bring those sacrifices, to have their sins atoned for, to make their relationship right, to pursue Him first above all other things. They've come to see that less as an honor and an opportunity and more is a chore. It's a chore. It's something they just have to do. And as I said, sometimes we can we can start to see as we've done something for the hundredth time, we start to begin we begin to see it less as that honor or opportunity, even if it's for God, and more of a chore. You know, as I said before, I, I did not enjoy mowing the lawn, but I'll tell you what, the first time my dad let me mow the lawn because at that point I was looking at it as a let me, right? He let me mow the lawn. I got to use that mower, that big engine, right? I got to do that. Or the first time he got to let me drive a car or the first time he got to let me stay out late, whatever that is, right? He let me do these things. That was, it was an honor, right? It was an honor and an opportunity. And with the lawnmower, I was super excited about doing it, right? But the hundredth time I'm mowing the lawn, I don't see that as an honor anymore, <laughs> right? I now see that as a chore. And, and while there are things in life that, that go through that phase, right, of being new and exciting and now it's just something you have to do, our relationship with God should never, ever be that. It's, it's become that for the people of God here in Malachi, They've, they've read the scriptures enough times. They got it, right? They've, they've read the story of David and Goliath. They've heard it a thousand times. It's, is it, it's not 
wonderful to do it again? Why am I looking and, and trying to discern more of who you are and what you are about? I've sung the worship songs a bunch of times. Why am I singing them again? They just don't do it for me. They don't excite me the way they used to. I've told others about him. I've spread the gospel. I told two or three people, and the first few times it was super nerve-wracking, and whew, I'm glad I got that done. I don't really want to do that again. These are all things that are our honors. We are honored. We are being honored. That we should be honored. That God would let us do these things. That God would ask us to do these things. And and our relationship with Him probably the greatest honor we could ever receive. Because we are none of us. Not one of us is worthy of an opportunity to be in a relationship with Him. But it's it's human nature to kind of take those things for granted and start to see even the most blessed things, right? Um, Who hasn't not wanted to get up on a Sunday morning and drag themselves to church, right? And they're thinking again this week, right? Or who dreads rounding up all the kids and listening to them complain and moan about having to go to church every single week, right? but they're kids and and they're doing to us as their parents what we sometimes even as adults do to our father god regardless of what that is if it's a service opportunity or it's an opportunity to to give financially to something or it's an opportunity to to engage with our 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 efforts putting in our best right the first few times we do it it's fabulous but after that we're like again Rather than, again, I get to do it again. I get to tell people about God again. I get to gather together again. I get to worship and sing his praises again. I get to read his word again. I get to have a further understanding of who he is again. And I get to remember how blessed I am to be part of his family again, right? The approach is completely different. One, we're naturally kind of predisposed to. The other is holy and righteous and of God. And though it's sometimes hard to find, it is the call. It is the call that God has upon us as his people if he really is our father and he really is our Lord and master and we really have placed our trust in him, then the value of his commands doesn't alter over time. The impact that they can have on our lives both now and in the future doesn't diminish over time. And it's so critical that we are constantly in a place where we are refreshing our faith and remembering that God wants us to bring our best because he has given his best to us. Let's keep reading. In verse 9 is where we're going to pick up. It says this, it says, and now, right, so you've offered to, to give this lame animal to God, right? You've not given your best, even though God has given his, right? The people of God here have not. And he says, and now plead for God's favor, right? You've not given your best, but you want God's best in return, right? Because don't we all? And he says, will he be gracious to us? 
Since this has come from your hands, will he show any of you favor? Asked the Lord of armies. I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. Now, all these things, you're bringing all these poor excuses for an offering to me, right? Don't even bother to waste the kindling it's going to take to light the fire. In fact, don't even unlock the doors to the temple. In our cases, in present day, it would be don't even bother to unlock the doors of the church. Don't even bother to get started. Don't even bother to come to me in prayer. Don't even go there, right? And he says words that I hope I never hear the second half of verse 10. He says, I am not pleased with you, says the Lords of army, Lord of armies, and I will accept no offering from your hands. He goes on, he says, my name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of armies. He says, stop pretending to be my people. Stop stop deluding yourself and convincing yourself that, that you are honoring me, that you are honoring me as your father, that you're honoring me as your Lord, that you're doing what I'm asking you to do and that you're being my people. And stop deluding me that you're really in a relationship with me. Because you're not. It's, it's tantamount to him being used, right? His people are, are using him to get all the upside without giving anything back. They're wanting God's favor, God's best, without giving him their best, and then wondering why it's not working out that way. Again, we talked about that last week. They were Some of them were living in poverty and they were being attacked by their enemies and they're jealous of what other countries have, right? They're going, why do they have it so good? I don't. God, if you really love me, why am I not getting your best? And he's trying to tell them, because you're not giving me your best. (laughs) Jesus says the greatest command reminds us the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, to love him with all of who we are. And yes, I'm not going to stand here for two seconds and tell you that is cake, that is easy, because at the end of the day, I'm a selfish guy. I like what I like, I want what I want, and I can't get out of my own way sometimes. And I have the sense that that is really the same for most all of us because we are all broken. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And yet, God still loves us despite that. But we're not doing ourselves any favors by deluding ourselves into believing, by offering God really our leftovers instead of our first fruits, right? Instead of offering him our best, we're offering him of our time or our, our energy or our effort or our attitude, right? We're offering him what we have left, what we have left at the end of the day or the end of the week, what we can fit in the schedule. If you're in a, a relationship with a human being, right? Anyone, your wife, your husband, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, a close friend, right? And you're not taking time to give your best. 
When they need to talk, are you listening? When they need help, are you reaching out to help? If we're just paying it lip service in our relationship with a person, eventually that relationship falls apart. It disintegrates. And essentially, in a lot of ways, we reap what we sow. And sometimes we're left wondering why. Why did, why did this marriage fall apart? Why did, why did my friendship with this person fall apart? Well, it's probably because we weren't really being friends. We weren't really investing in each other. We weren't really paying attention to one another. We weren't really trying to help each other. It was just valuable for a moment in time, for a purpose in time, and that's all there was to it. And now it's gone. And God, though he is not human, is reminding the people here. He's saying, look, you have treated me this way. You have started to look at the things that I want you to do as chores. When I asked you to, to mow the lawn, right? I asked you to mow the lawn the first time. It was wonderful. You were excited. You were ready to go. But by time three, time four, time 100, you're done. You're acting like I'm asking you to do the worst thing ever on the planet. Like it's just, it's just a big problem. And you want my favor. You want a relationship with me and all the benefits of a relationship with me, but you're not willing to put the time or the energy in. God doesn't deserve to be used. And the truth is, he won't be. He won't be. He goes so far in this section as to tell his people, you know, you're going to miss out. Because he says, he's almost this prophecy of the end of the world, right? Or, or the coming of, of, of the apocalypse, right? Where we see similar presentations in Revelation where it says that every knee will bow, every tongue confess, right? And it, it says, my, in verse 11, my name will be great among the nations. The implication is there is the whole world, right? Except for you, who I have called to be my people, right? My, my name will be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will be presented in my name to every place, in every place, because my name will be great among the nations. He's saying, I, you are my chosen people. I've chosen to be in a relationship with you, but I'm telling you there will come a time when all will confess that I am Lord when all will worship me and all will recognize who I am. And yet, they don't. Let's be careful. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to convince ourselves that all is well in our relationship with God. And sometimes God is telling us, bluntly and openly, it's not. It's not. It's reminiscent of, again, Revelation, this, this idea of a, a lukewarm faith. In Revelation chapter 3, he's speaking to the, the church at Laodicea. And he says to them, beginning in verse 14, he says, Write to the angel of the church of Laodicea. Thus says the Amen, right? The faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation, 
And he says this, this to the church. He says, I know your works, that you are ne neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot, one or the other, something. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Yuck. For you say, I am rich. I have become wealthy and I need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They don't realize that they haven't yet grown up, that they are still sons and daughters of God. They are still his people, learning from his infinite wisdom, being cared for by his infinite strength, being protected by his infinite love, and not recognizing that without that, they're in trouble. There is no place in our relationship with God where there, that ever stops being the case. And you know what? That is an honor and a blessing, not a burden. He goes on in back in Malachi. Let's pick up in verse 12 of chapter 1. It says, But you are profaning, profaning it, that's his name, when you say the Lord's table is defiled and its product, its food, is contemptible. You also say, look at what a nuisance, and you scorn it. Do I have to go to church? Do I have to read my Bible? Do I have to pray? Do I have to trust you? Do I have to watch my words? Do I have to stay pure? Do I have to? He says, and you scorn it, says the Lord of armies. You bring stolen, lame, or sick animals you bring this as an offering? <laughs> and am I to accept that from your hands? You bring a few minutes at the end of your day or your week on an inconsistent basis. You bring that time of day when you don't have anything better to do and, and the internet is down. <laughs> you relegate, okay, I guess I'm going to have to read my Bible today. In verse 14, he says, The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of armies, and my name will be feared among the nations. The deceiver is cursed who has an acceptable male in his flock and makes a vow but sacrifices a defective animal to the Lord. You know, there are seasons in our life where we don't have a lot to give, where our, whether it be financially or emotionally or physically, right, where our bodies are beginning to break down or we're suffering from an illness or a tragedy and our hearts are burdened with sorrow. And, and so th there are seasons when we're going to be able to easily give more of all of who we are to God. And there are seasons when that's really, really difficult. And God understands that. God understands that, that his call is not to give from what we do not have, but to give the best of what we do have. Jesus tells the parable of the widow with two coins and the rich man with much money. And he, the rich man runs by and gives a small percentage of his income 
back to the, the Lord. And the widow gives every penny she has. Even though in quantity it amounts to nearly nothing, nothing compared to what the rich man is offering financially, the difference is that it is all of what she has. It is the best of what she has. And it is everything she can give in this time, in this place, in this moment. God isn't asking you to be perfect. He's not asking you to find a way to give something you cannot give. He is, though, saying that if you have a choice, he wants your best. He wants my best. He wants our best, again, because he has given his best and continues to give his best for us. It's, again, an honor and an opportunity, not a chore and a burden. These words that, that he uses in Malachi to discuss this, contemptible, defiled, a nuisance, you scorn it, sends a message that God isn't good enough to give my best to. God isn't good enough to alter my plans for. God isn't good enough to trust and God isn't holy enough to love with all of who I am. Make no mistake, uh, there's a, there's a, it's one thing to say we're committed to something and another to be committed to something. Because being committed means we're living in such a way that we demonstrate that commitment. It's not about earning God's favor. Surely not. God loves us no matter what, right? And you cannot earn salvation in him. And he's, he's not, he doesn't have a, a big checkbox up front that says, up in heaven that says, hey, if you get X number of slots filled, bingo, you're going to get, you're going to get everything you want from me. That is not how this works. And you can't do it with your works. But we can choose to recognize the value of God's gift, especially as followers of Christ. Because God gave his one and only son, right? Let him be tortured. Had him leave his place on the throne in heaven, right? And not consider it something to be held on to, as Philippians 4 says. And to, to come to this earth and to be humbled and to be hung on a cross. To die for us. He's given his most precious things for us. And it, it shouldn't be surprising or disheartening or bothersome at all that God expects us as his people to return it as best we can. Not out of a sense of earning it, but out of a sense of commitment. A sense of love and faithfulness and an and in a desire to honor God in all of who we are. Which brings me to, to what do we do with that, right? How do we, if, if, if 
it's because it's easy to say that, right? It's easy for Rob to say here, sit here and say, your, your faith needs to come back to life, man. You need to, we need to refresh our faith. We need to grow in him and recognize all that he offers us as incredible because it is, right? We need to see the opportunity to serve him as exactly that, an opportunity and an honor. We need to recognize that, that, that giving our best to him is our best choice and is worthy of everything we might give to him. It's easy to say that, but if we've, if we've lost that, it's kind of hard to find it again. Because much like, again, mowing the lawn, right? That first time that you recognize that God loves you, that God gave his life for you, that God would do anything to save you and to bring you back into a relationship with him. That first time, your heart was on fire, right? It was fluttering and there was an excitement and just a sense of either joy or weeping or both, right? Everything. It's, it's, this is amazing. I cannot believe this, right? But it's, it's, it's hard sometimes to stay that connected. And the truth is it takes effort. Again, God's given his best effort. And we need to give ours. So let me give you three tangible ways that you can start today. All of us can start today to refresh to our faith, to rekindle that fire, to reclaim our commitment to God and to try to the best of our ability. Again, it's not about perfection. It's about progress, right? To be the people that God is calling us to be, not because we're earning it, but because he's earned that response. Number one, start now. Break your pattern now. Break your pattern today. If it is um, not a habit to read scripture prayerfully and approach it with joy to the best of your ability, change that. Choose to make it a part of your day. In fact, I would advocate making it the first part of your day. If you're not in the habit of praying and asking for the Lord's guidance and help, start today. Start right now. If you're watching this on video, which if you're watching, it's obviously video, hit the pause button. Pray right now. I don't, I don't usually do that. Do it anyways. Start now. If, if you are not giving financially, right? If you're not tithing, I would suggest tithing now. Not because this isn't a money grab. If it makes you feel better, tithe to something else. Give to a charity. That's not what it's about. <laughs> what it's about is recognizing that if we are giving our best, we are giving our best. We are giving our first fruits. We don't get to call an audible and decide what our best is. God tells us what our best is, right? Giving with a joyful heart. Giving honestly and earnestly. He says to the people here, if you've got an acceptable lamb and you're choosing to give me the lame one anyways, right? Then you're cursed. Not words I want to hear from God. So start now. The second one is this, choose your best. 
Choose your best time in the morning works for me. Choose your best effort. Choose your best skills. If you're amazing with people, use that skill. God has given you that for a reason to relate to others, to help others. If God has given you a skill of laying concrete, you can do that to the glory of God and help others see God through you, through the quality of work, through the words that you give, through dedicating it all to him every day. Whether you're a farmer or a financial advisor or a doctor or a line worker or an engineer or yes, even a lawyer or a politician, you can give your best to God. If he has given you a skill set, use it for him. You might be amazed, even if you think it's not worthy. Again, it's not about comparing yourself to anybody else. It's about asking yourself, what has God given me and what can I do with it for him? And finally, three, seek Holy Spirit's help actively. He promises to be a counselor. He promises to be an advocate. But one of the interesting things about a counselor and an advocate is if we don't approach them and if we don't listen to them, whatever they have to offer is of no use. And so I would encourage each and every one of us to take time, again, our best time, every day, to lay our personal wills, to lay our difficulties and our challenges and even our angst and anger and frustration and bitterness at the feet of God and say, Holy Spirit, I need my heart healed. I need, I want to see you. I want to see you clearly. I want to see you with love. I want to remember and recall and be refreshed in my faith to remember when I valued everything you offered me and I valued who you are and I valued all of the things that this world has to offer because you created them. I valued all of that. Please, please help me find that again. Because sometimes recognizing that God is our Lord requires that we actually say the words. That we actually say, Lord God, you are my Father, you are my Lord, and I have not allowed you to be that. And I am sorry. It is a spirit of confession and a spirit of repentance. But don't put it off. Don't wait until tomorrow. Start today. Don't give him what's left. Give him what's first. And ask him for help because he will. Blessings to you.